Hey, Tori. Hey, playwrights. Welcome to Hey, Playwright, a podcast about playwriting and life. Hey, Mabel. Hey, Tori. You're back. I'm back. I'm here. I'm I'm happy Halloweening. My neighborhood is decorated. Is your neighborhood decorated? Like, do people do the thing and put 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 up scary things and cobwebs and stuff you know the the little pocket that i live in is there's not a lot of houses right here Mm -hmm. it and it's it's not like a well-trafficked street so there aren't there aren't a lot of decorations up which makes me kind of sad i used to like putting decorations out and it was fun but you know my Kids a little older. Oh, we did though. Okay, let me backtrack. I'm I'm getting ahead of myself. But when we drive out of our neighborhood, we get to see some very elaborate setups, and the the amount of time and effort some people put into yeah. it. Yeah, and money. Those things are not cheap. <laughs> and money. Yeah, <clears throat> I know. But I I've always enjoyed those types of things. I remember looking in the back of old school comic books years ago and you could buy like buy a mummy for 1995 <laughs> i mean these were old comic books you know it so i was looking at them as a kid but they were actually even older than that so like i'm looking in the 70s but i think they were from the 60s you know and i always thought oh this would be so neat to have this um like the mummy or the, who knows what they actually sent you <laughs> buying something out of a back of a comic book where you have to mail in a check. I love it. And I love, and that would be an awesome play. Like you buy a mummy and then the actual mummy comes. And then they, you... saw, <laughs> they send you a mummy. Yeah, they send you an actual mummy. They're trying to get rid of yeah. it. They're oh cursed. my gosh, there's a play right there. It. There's a play. <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, uh, I went to my first Halloween party of the season. Probably my only one because I... I don't think I'll have time for not. Oh, yes. As if I get so many social engagement invitations, please. And I've been watching a lot of movies, Tori. I've been watching the scary movies. I, I you have I did. I saw the Halloween ends. Um, How was it? I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. And okay. as a person that okay. has Halloween is on my top five favorite films of all time. The original Halloween is on my top five. Uh, yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was quite good. You know which movie really surprised me? And I don't know. Hmm. If people have thoughts about this, I'd be curious. But I loved Black Phone. Oh, I did too. Okay, because I almost texted you and was like, Tori, have you seen this? Yes. Well, like, I really, really, and I just watched it just kind of like on a whim because I was like, I kept seeing the the ads for it and uh, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this looks creepy, but uh, I, I wanted to be in the right headspace for it. But then I was like, then I was just going on a, on a tear, er, <laughs> um, and I see what you I, did there. <laughs> but I, gosh, I really, really la- like it. Got me. I cried, Tori. There's that moment when I don't want to spoil anything, but there's a moment there which I kind of knew was going to happen, but it's still like I was like, 
Um, but yeah, I thought it was very, it felt very Stephen King to me. I know it's based on yes. a short story, but it felt like just that, the, like, kids, kids, kids working together kind of a situation. Yeah. And I thought it was really beautifully shot. And I really like the, the opening credits. I thought that was really cool. Plus it's like, takes place in the seventies, yo. Like, oh, I know. Gosh, come on. Any of that. Any of that. Yeah. So anyway, what have you, what have you been, how have you been celebrating well, this fall season? Remember I told you we went to see Bodies, Bodies, Bodies? Yes! Yeah, and it's written by the playwright who wrote The Wolves. Sarah DeLapp. I enjoyed it very much. It's it's gory and violent and all of those things, but there's a lot of humor in it. And every time you think you have a handle on what's happening the the stakes are raised there's so many twists and turns in the story um yeah i enjoy i enjoyed that that's cool and then yesterday yeah. you took your kid to i did we went to the haunted trails at balboa park so what is that and do you drive through that or you walk through it or what how does that work no no you walk through it um there's there's one part that's a maze the <gasps> the first thing that you go through is a maze and then the second part, you're walking into different little haunted areas. Like, one was a Stranger Things themed one, oh. you know, different little themes. Um, but the first one was a maze. And it's just so dark and you can't see your way through the maze. And there are... So that that was interesting. But the... <laughs> The funniest part of the experience to me is that my family, I'm there with my husband, my kid, and one of her friends, they had me go first. <laughs> it's always like, the mom. well, this is, yeah, I know. I go, well, this is typical. <laughs> like, okay. I go, good. Here I am. I, and I had no problems going first. And Ron was, Ron was like, you were just foraging ahead. And I said, yeah, what am I going to do? What, what is You're it welcome. scary? Is it scary? Like lots of jump scares? Uh, you know, lots of jump scares and loud noises. Mm. I mean, the the part that was the creepiest to me, and they do these, it seems like, in all of the haunted mazes and houses now, is there's these big blow up things, and they have them inflated very close together, and you have to walk through them, you have to squeeze through them, and there's people hiding. Oh no! In between. Yeah. No. Like in creepy clown masks and uh-uh. stuff. You know? <laughs> no, I don't like that. So so that was creepy. So that to me was the creepiest where you are walking through and there might be somebody on the other side. But here's what's funny. I could see I was walking fast enough that I could see when there would be somebody kind of around the corner. So I would point behind me, get them get that and it worked every time they never they never really jumped out at me it was always yeah that's what happens when you send mom in first Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know me i'm a i i like to hide and jump out at my dog at my family (laughs) i'm just i'm a prankster i told you i had that ventriloquist dummy my friend michelle when we lived together in college that i put it in her bed 
Sorry, I can't even say it without <laughs> laughing. Simon? Is it Simon? Simon. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I also bought that head, you know, the doll that they had geared, they had marketed towards boys called the... My buddy? Was it My Little Buddy? My yeah, buddy, my buddy, my buddy, my buddy, my buddy. Right. Mm-hmm. So I was Where at a thrift go, store goes. and just found the head. It was just the head. And I bought it and I wrapped it as a Christmas gift. (laughs) (laughs) It was one of my gifts to her. And that head went with us on trips. So so when the Travelocity gnome, when they were doing the whole, oh, the gnome is here and the gnome is there, we had done that back with with my buddy's we had head done that years ago with the buddy head that is we took picture we took pictures of it in nature like different places we had visited just the head just the but head. then I did that with the head too I just would stick it in her bed with just the head the hair <laughs> sticking out oh my gosh oh. we had so much fun with that oh with that oh my gosh so yeah I'm a I'm a prankster that was nothing what do you have going on this week. Uh, oh, so we're, because of tis the season for spookiness, so we're actually um, on the October 22nd, um, Tuyo Theater is doing Mercado de Miedo, which is a market of fear or terror or scary things. Um, and uh, it's an anthology of uh, short plays by our Latinx Writers Workshop. Um so I am writing the connective tissue. So you know the Crypt Keeper, like Tales from the Crypt? Oh, yeah. You know how yeah, you would always say the... stuff to like introduce a piece? That's yes. what, that's the parts that I'm writing. But it's it's really their their work. So um, so that's happening October 22nd at um, San Diego Writers, Inc. So it's a, it's a partnership with San Diego Writers, Inc. Um, and we are using their space at Liberty Station. Some of the work that we are hearing is from brand new writers. So that's always exciting. Saturday, October 22nd at 6.30 p.m., the store opens. <laughs> How about you? What do you got going on? So I have something happening this week that I am not looking forward to, but it's a necessary thing. So a year ago around this time, I had to have a lumpectomy. I, you know, they had found a, a, a little mass, a very small one inside of my left breast. They did biopsy. It was suspicious for malignancy, so to to be very proactive and aggressive, we took out the the mass. The mass was removed, and then the plan was uh, get a mammogram in a year just to check, make sure everything's still okay. So I went in to get that mammogram, and they found another mass in a, in a different area. For any of the women listening, if, if you've gone through this, you know they look at your breast like the face of a clock. So when they locate something and they're not sure what it is, it's done by uh, 8 o'clock, 6 o'clock, you know, 4 o'clock. So they found something at, I think this year, it might be 6 o'clock. I'm trying to remember, I don't know. But I have to go in for a second mammogram and then, you know, possibly an ultrasound. And then we find out where to go from there. Mm. My hope is that they can see what they need to see on this follow-up mam- mammogram. And that maybe it'll just be, let's watch it. Because I do have dense breast tissue and things show up. And, you know, you just sometimes just monitor it. I 
feel like that happened to me years ago and nothing was done, but we'll see what happens. Wow. Well, when is that happening? Wednesday. Wednesday. So I'll be going in Wednesday and, you know, whatever happens, I'm still so grateful for what we have access to here and that I am able to go in and have something checked so that I can make sure that I'm being on top of it. You know, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. But I, I really am hoping that I don't need to go through the surgery again. And you know, mammograms really just aren't that fun. <laughs> but necessary, Tori. <laughs> they're necessary, not fun, but, but they're necessary. just not fun. <laughs> and you know, I think I may have talked about this that I it's on the left side. It's my left shoulder that I have the frozen shoulder. Oh, so trying to do trying to do this whole just getting the mammogram, getting the images. Oh my gosh, it's so painful. So, and in November I have a follow-up for that, for this frozen shoulder. So hopefully I can get another cortisone shot and be done. Seriously, like, come on, 50s. I heard you're great. So let's, let's, let's do this with minimal, oh. minimal, you know, stuff being done to my body. <laughs> come on. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah. Well, good luck with good luck with all of it, Tori. Thank I'm you. I'm learning from you. Yeah. It's a, yeah, unpleasant but necessary just like you said. Yeah. Cool. Well, tis the season. We are getting into the time of year where we are getting to reconnect with people. You know, family members, friends, because there are more gatherings. I feel I feel like when you start into October with parties and then, you know, the the holidays, you get together, you have dinner. There there are more events where you might be able to connect in in person. Now we are venturing out and getting to see theater together. And where am I going with this, Mabel? I am so excited today to have two friends on the podcast, people that I greatly admire and respect, and they are lovely people, just kind, courageous people. They they are that way as people and in their art, and they are exploring something um, like a, a a dark period in history, but finding the light in it. So they wrote a play together. It's a husband and wife team, Michael Grady and Linda Diarman Grady, who wrote a play together called A Beautiful Place. And both of them are artistically well-rounded. They, they just both do so many things when it comes to the arts. Michael is a playwright. Uh, he's also written musicals. He's an actor which is how I was first, I believe, introduced to him because I saw him on stage in a Stephen Dietz play. Um, but then he became my thesis director. And he's also written a novel, Breaking Ball, that's on Amazon. And then Linda DeArmon Grady, his wife, oh my gosh, she's an actress, a singer, a dancer, a writer, 
and she's had a 30-year career as an interpreter for the deaf, and she had a book of poetry published this year called Reflections on Bee Stings. So we are excited, delighted. I'm, I'm truly overjoyed to have Linda and Michael today on the program. Hey, Michael and Linda. Hey, Val and Tori. Technical difficulties aside, we are all here together <laughs> now in the same space. And, and the two of you, wow, um, you, you just all do a little bit of everything. But the reason that, uh, and I've, I've thought for a while about wanting to reach out to talk to both of you, but you came up on the radar again because you, you just wrote a musical together. So, yeah. uh, yes, uh, we will. <laughs> it is still going on. We still, after progress. every, after yes. write, every writing session, we take a head count yeah. because it's, <laughs> it's kill or be killed, but, uh, but we're here. Yeah. And it's great to be here. Thank you so much. Oh my goodness. So, um, the first thing I thought would be interesting to dive into is I, I would love to hear how both of you um your your journeys into theater and then how you met because oh, <laughs> that's an interesting story so it yes is. that is <laughs> okay uh, uh well my journey was much different than michael's i um didn't have the college route i just started um as a dancer in the chorus um, doing a lot of community theater, a lot of building sets, a lot of painting, a lot of, you know, uh, tech stuff and at the same time. And so I learned kind of the ropes of the whole, the whole enchilada, right? Um, and it was a really good, uh, it was a really good learning background, learning space for me was starting that way. Um, and that evolved into um, getting bigger roles in musicals, and then I started doing straight plays, and da, 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 da. and I was able to kind of make a living at it here in Arizona for about 15 years-ish, a little over. No small um, trick. <laughs> and yeah. then as I got older, I realized that, you know, things were getting, parts were not as available to someone, and so I went back to school, and I learned sign language, and I became an interpreter for the deaf. And I did both things for a while until that kind of became crazy. So um, my foreway back into theater was when we started writing this play. I hadn't done anything in quite a while. So this brought me back to where I feel most comfortable, so. But Linda, you're a playwright too. Well, I did some of that, I dabbled. Yeah, <laughs> no, I mean, uh, you've, been, you've been produced. Yes. yes. One of us. Has been done in New York, and well, it ain't. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, so Michael, can you share your story? Um, uh, sure. I I went I went the well. I started in high school in the orchestra. I was a trumpet player, and I got tired of being in the orchestra pit because the actors with good diction would spit on us. <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> So I decided acting, that's a career. <laughs> and still you can you can you can still imagine my father aging every time I say that. Um, uh, so uh, I, I went into college to be a journalist and I just auditioned for a show 
And um, there's a way of saying, you know, you meet something or someone or something, it can be a vocation or something that says, this is gonna be your life for a while. And uh, there's just kind of a knowing that comes with that. Well, you've got a degree as well. I got a degree that was almost accidental because, uh, <laughs> because it really was about, uh, I mean, college theater was great for me. Everything is what you make of it. Uh, the, the biggest instructor for me as as a as an actor and as a playwright is uh, just the stage time. You can be in a classroom learning theory of everything, but you learn and and that has its role and that could be very good. But but uh, being on stage, you know, trying to make a scene work or or trying to make your blocking work as an actor or whatever, and watching other people who have done it do it is probably the most instructive thing. Um, so, um, uh, we, uh, we went to, um, Hollywood for a while. We went to mm -hmm. California. We did. Yes. yes. Uh, and Tori remembers cause she had to buy us meals a couple of times <laughs> during that period. Um, uh. but, um, and Linda worked, Linda worked for a while in casting mm -hmm. and, uh, and I worked for a while writing grants and almost getting phone calls returned and we came back here. We came back to Arizona and um, I had pretty much stopped playwriting um, until a beautiful place came along. And um, that was, that was, that's been kind of a cause for us. Mm -hmm. It actually um, was something we discovered while in LA. Yeah, tell them about that. Um, I had, there's a, in LA, there's a museum called the Museum of Tolerance. Um, amazing place. If you haven't been there, mm -hmm. uh, I recommend going. Uh, I had an a interpreting job there, uh, interpreting a tour. And Michael... Uh, I was doing nothing. I was unemployed <laughs> and I felt I should do something. Uh, so I would drive her. I would be uh, her driver. Uh -huh. And so we could argue all the way to and from <laughs> destinations. And um, and so that's how we wound up at the Museum of Tolerance yeah. at the first time. And this was 2001. Oh, so anyway, um, he went one way to look around the museum and I went and did my job. And he came, we met in the middle in the lobby and he goes, you have to come see this. And he took me to this display of, um, I, can't, I get kind of verklempt even thinking about it. This amazing display of children's artwork from the Terezin ghetto. And it just was so overwhelming and so amazing. I mean, the bright colors and, and depictions of life that were happy and butterflies and flat. They were trying to, some were like sad. You, they had other kids would draw, but it was just mesmerizing. And, and I said to him, I said, this should be a play. How come I've never heard of this? Their teacher was named Friedel Dicker Brandeis and they had some of her artwork there too. I said, I've never heard of her. I've never heard of this. I said, this would make a great play. It's, it's interesting and, that we came in and one, one thing to add is we came into the exhibit backwards. So yeah. as there, there was no prefacing plaque yeah. or program or anything. So, so we're going through it and, um, and you see all these disparate you know, like charcoal drawings and then, and then paintings and some are beautiful meadows with children in them. And some are drawings of, of people being hung from like telephone poles and things. And you're trying to find a through line. And we were working backwards from that. And, um, 
And she had an amazing story, Friedel did. She was a Bauhaus artist in, in, the, in the 20s and 30s. And uh, she had had uh, several exhibits. She, was one, she could do basically anything. Uh, she actually designed buildings and things, but primarily she was a painter. And, um, and she was a critical darling at the time. And um, one reviewer called her like, you know, a Picasso in waiting or the next Picasso. Um, but uh, long story short, she was also um, living in Europe during the rise of the Nazis. And uh, she left Germany for Czechoslovakia when Germany got too hot. And then she left Prague uh, for the countryside of Czechoslovakia when, when that got, when the Germans moved into Czechoslovakia. And um, then they caught up with her. And in December, 1942, she and her husband were shipped to, uh, to Regenstadt, uh, which was about an hour outside of Prague. It was a walled medieval city that the Germans were falsely billing as um, a spa. Hitler's gift. Mm. Hitler's gift yeah. to the Jews. This was, this was the, the genuflection to world opinion where they said, look, we're not, all the rumors aren't true. We're giving the Jews this gorgeous city and everything. It was all a lie. It was all uh, propaganda. A, a def and it became a defining lie and kind of an industry for them. Uh, it was a horrible place. Mm -hmm. But um, uh, she was there uh, for two years. Uh, a lot of artists and scientists were there and they started um, their own education, their own system. They had an academic society and they had lectures and uh, Friedel Dicker Brandeis began using art to help um, teach the children of uh, Theresen and kind of comfort them. And this was kind of, and she wrote about it a little, uh, this was kind of the, the beginning elements of art therapy where you use artistic expression as a way of um, calming someone, getting them into a safe place, helping them sort out trauma. Uh, and she was finding the beginnings of this in 1942 and 1943. And we left the Museum of Tolerance in, in, in 2001 after seeing this exhibit. And we were both saying to each other, how is this woman not famous? Mm -hmm. How is this woman, how does everybody not know who she is and what, what she did? And uh, that brought us to the show. So you wrote it though as a musical. So can you talk about why you made that choice rather than you know telling the story as as a as a straight play, straight for better lack of a word, but you know, instead of just telling a play, you chose music. And I'm curious about that, Michael, because I know in a lot of your work, you you you're not a stranger to musicals. You've done you've done some musicals. Um and I've written strange musicals, so. <laughs> but, but, but I say that because it's definitely a choice, so I wanna know why. And there's some magical realism elements of it. Mm -hmm. um, so I would, I would like for you both to talk about that. Um, and wait, I've got a three, I've got a third thing <laughs> oh, for you to think about. <laughs> okay. You're a husband and wife team. Mm -hmm. How does that work? Oh boy. Oh boy. Well, 
I came into this late. Uh, they originally, we decided a musical of this would give it an added dimension of, because you can say things and, and be emotive in music in a more soaring way than you can in dialogue. And um, with all the magical, this magical elements right later, but we decided to ask a very dear friend and a prolific, talented, Brilliant amazing uh, composer to look at it named Craig Baumler. And um, he agreed with us that this could be a musical and he was already getting ideas after he saw our little presentation of the synopsis. And Craig's so, terrific. Craig, Craig wrote, he just, he just finished not long ago, uh, an operatic adaptation of Writers of the Purple Sage. Um, he, wow. he really prolific, really gifted guy. As did Stephen Marcone, who is our, our, our lyricist, lyricist um, who is also amazing. Um, but, but he was originally, Craig and Michael were going to start it and write it. Um, and oh, life happened and the- We ground we, to a halt. I mean, we can be honest <laughs> about this. We can, we, uh, I, was, I was working on it. And one of the reasons, Linda's right, music gives you an extra gear. It's like overdrive on the gearbox, you know, where, where you can build to, in, in, in a straight play, you can build to, to angry words or you can build to stage action. There's something about bringing it up to music that, that heightens the emotion, that heights, heightens the value in the moment. And it's a great extra gear to have, you know? And uh, um, that's part of it. But yeah, I, I started working on this uh, with Craig, oh, years and years ago. And um, uh, I brought a first draft of a first act to him and um, it didn't work. It didn't work. And I think, I mean, to be completely honest, um, I think I was trying to write directly to how horrible the Holocaust was. And that's like looking directly into the sun. If you're like, you know, trying to, grip everything with gravity and, and, and uh, um, great depth, then nothing has any contrast to it. I hit a wall with it. And um, Craig said, basically, you know, try to do it again and, and come back to me. Maybe we'll have a conversation about this at another time. But I, I couldn't figure out a way to do it. And, the, and the, the musical stayed fallow for a number of years. And then, Take it, sister. Oh, <laughs> I didn't this, um, this is where you come in. Well, let's see, where do I start? Uh, well, the story always fascinated me and I, I really wanted to see it happen. And uh, we had these books about Friedel Dicker Brandeis on our coffee table for years and I would dust them and think, oh, it's too bad that nobody's doing anything about this. And, and um, this happens with my writing sometimes. It, it happened with my my poetry book, it happened with a lot of the stuff I do. I just start getting flashes in my head of, of scenes and situations and, and I started writing them down. And I went to Michael and I said, do you mind if I take a crack at this? And- um, What did I say in I don't version? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, it puts it to 
intrusive. I, I, I realized that, but I really felt strongly about the ideas I was getting and I wanted to share them with him. And so I was doing important things like <laughs> mowing oh, and changing <laughs> shirts. I had a real full plate at the time, but anyway, uh, long story short, we, we finally ended up. It was irritating, on. but here's the thing. It was <laughs> irritating, but her ideas were irrefutably good. So after a while you have to go, um, okay, you have, to, you have to strip the ego away and you go, okay, this is, this is the, the breath of life this process needed. And no, we wouldn't be sitting here having this interview um, uh, if Linda, Linda hadn't come in. No, um, I don't know. You know, <laughs> well, some days that's not a compliment. <laughs> but, uh, but, so but yeah. Now I ask you her third question. Okay, yeah, she has a third question. Was it like working as a married oh, couple, right. wasn't it? Yeah. So well, wait, was this the first project that you two worked on together? This was the no, first one. Oh, no, we wrote a screenplay once. Oh. <laughs> and then, <laughs> right. and I have, and we wrote a I can show book. you here, I got it. Um, and it, we decided we should shield. never do this again. Yeah. But this was too important, so we said- Then we, we wrote a children's book. Yeah, well, you did the illustrations and I did that. Yeah, yeah. I, I almost lost well, an eye did. on that. Wait a minute. I didn't know it, you were also an illustrator. It's really good. Okay, so yeah. so I just want to take a little a little sidebar here to say that Michael was my thesis director, so he's also an educator. And, and that's where I got to know you, I feel like the most was like through our interaction as, but then, you know, it, you treated us more like peers and I, I really val valued that and, and always have appreciated that about you and constantly like your curiosity and, and also wanting to learn and become a better writer and artist. Um, but also uh, both of you released books in this past year. Michael has a, a book called Breaking ba Ball, and then Linda has a book of poetry um, and bee stings. What, what is the full Reflections title? Reflections on bee stings. Reflections on bee stings, yes. Yeah. And, and I'm happy to say I've purchased both of them. So I'm excited about that. We'll put that in the show notes too, so that people can find those. But I'm just saying, all that to say, maybe you weren't working uh, writing plays uh, over the past, you know, how many years, but you've continued to create. So you oh, are yeah. both continuing to be artists. So now back to the, how do you survive as husband and wife making him? <laughs> Somehow miraculously, we're still married and it's for 30 years, <laughs> wow. um, believe it or not. Um, it's been interesting. We 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 <laughs> I wanted to hear the first word she put on it. And interesting, it's interesting, one of those things. Probably that not the first it word. encompasses good and also horrific. Well, <laughs> we're both very passionate about what ideas we have. So you can imagine things would get elevated sometimes. I believe there was one time I walked two and a half miles home from a restaurant. She left me in a bar. She <laughs> left me in a bar uh, because. Oh. That was when one of the characters had to I die. One, one of the characters we were in a rewrite. One of the characters had to die, and oh. and uh, she left me in a bar. <clears throat> she she left me in a bar, and I had to pick up the check. At least I left you the car. And then yeah, she left me the car, <laughs> so I was able to drive home, beat her home, and then glower at yeah, her. Really and she came up the driveway. So so that was good. Wait, whose idea was it? 
that the character had to die at that moment in the we script. Had that, that we had a first um, uh, read through, like a staged reading. Mm -hmm. And it went swimmingly well. It went really well. We had good people and everything like this. And, and, and people were really supportive. And then, but we also realized that if you're going to stage a play dealing with the Holocaust, um, your first wave of criticism is going to be all good for you. Good for you. You're doing this thing because who wants to be the one saying nay on the Holocaust play, right? Mm. Right. And then afterwards, we got a couple of emails from a couple of friends. Um, uh, one of them, one of them, Jewish, saying, "I know your intent is good, uh, and for lack of a better term, I think you're portraying this as Holocaust light." Mm. You know, where we didn't want to dwell too much on the death stuff, and which sounds weird, but we wanted to get away with saying that the, the Terezine ghetto was a terrible place, but we didn't want to kill off any characters. We didn't want to, we didn't want to put casualties and horrific things right in front of people's faces, which is a defining element of the place. If you don't do it, and this is what the first reading yeah, taught us. It's a fine line. It's just a vaguely sad place that people are telling you is terrible, but you have to go there. You have to, um, for lack of a better term, I didn't, well, I don't want to sound glib about it, but you have to have a body count. You have to uh, detail some of the horrible things done or it has no weight. The interesting, and that was the first, what the first draft was really the about. The interesting thing about Terezine um, or Theresienstadt, uh, as the Germans called it, it was, as we said, a showcase for how well they were treating Jewish people. Um, and there were horrific things happening there, disease and, you know, but all of the extermination for want, lack of a better word was happening at Auschwitz, which was a train ride east from mm -hmm. So it was more like a transport station. They didn't know why people were going, where they were going when they got on the train. They didn't know what was gonna happen to them when they went on the trains. So we were trying to write it from the viewpoint of the people that, we don't know where we're going. We don't know what's happening. There's a lot of confusion, a lot of propaganda. So, um, and we purposely didn't show any Nazis in the, you don't, you won't, you'll see a shadow, you'll hear a no voice. No swastikas, that was not, one of our We didn't, uh, we wanted their little world, the world that they did their best to make beautiful for them be the center point. So, and I've now I've totally lost your question and I don't remember what it was, but- She's, um, Do you still want to be married? Oh, no, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, Theresienstadt uh -huh. was in itself a horrible place. A lot of people died there. Yeah. Uh, but, and this is one of the, tr the tricky things about telling its story. It played multiple roles because it was a walled city. They kind of used it as a movie set. So they could partition parts of it and make it look gorgeous while they starved other people to death. Um, so it, it played, and and it still has it still has the rep of the paradise ghetto um, uh, to some people, um, and some people don't know that there were horrible things done there. Um, so so it had a it played a complicated dual role there. There was an interesting, uh, the Red Cross came to inspect the camp, I believe in 42 or maybe 43. Mm -hmm. um, 
and the Germans embellished it. They put up, you know, coffee houses and the bank, Fake the facades, town square, yeah. everything was, you know, they brought in healthy Jewish people or actually German actors to come in and play the people in the street. Um, and the, the Red Cross was blown away and said, well, this is beautiful. This is wonderful. This is a beautiful <laughs> place. Now we don't even uh, need to go to Auschwitz and look around because uh, Auschwitz was next on their list. Uh, so it, they really, um, the place was a dichotomy. It was everything all at once. It was, it was, so it's hard to pick and choose what those aspects are that you want to have in the play. But I, I think we've, we've done a pretty good job of making all of those elements come to life. Well, a wise person once said to me that it's about the poetry of people. Mm -hmm. What I'm writing, it was you, Michael. You said oh. that to me. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh, so, how about that? But so what I was what I was thinking while while you were talking is that the story is really about Friedel and the and the children mm -hmm. and what they create in that space while all of this is happening around them and to them you mm -hmm. know so that it's amazing to me that those drawings paintings survived made it out amidst all of the the she, that it it's she, amazing they made it out uh, that that they were documented like that was that was an interesting journey because um they were there were 5000 of them in two suitcases Wow. That were um, hidden in an attic there. Yeah. They were hidden in an attic there and they were brought to Prague uh, along with the luggage of uh, tens of thousands of Jews who had never claimed them because, you know, they found the luggage and that's the only trace of these people. And they sat in the attic of the Museum of Prague until 1954 when workers going through the cases open this up and beheld basically what we saw in the Museum of Tolerance mm -hmm. all those years later. And like us, they saw the art first. The art kind of gobsmacked them and they didn't even know the story yet. Mm -hmm. And they had to work back to the story of this remarkable woman and, and her, her artists. It, well, and, and in a way, it seems like maybe you working backward in the museum, a happy accident, really, it informed how you opened the musical because you open it with a child painting, right? We did until a few days ago. That's, that's a, that's uh, that's a new working. argument because I want it back. I miss it, but we'll see what happens. That's, that's <laughs> that. We're actually working on the opening. It's interesting you said yeah. that because. Um, because opening numbers and opening moments are so tricky because you have to you have to establish kind of an attitude and a vocabulary for what you're trying to 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 say you have to drop people into a story that's already progressing and fill them in a, in a way that that isn't marked by really clunky dialogue and 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 you have to set a mood and a tone and give all the moment before all at once. And that this is the last thing. We're at a, we're at a point now with a beautiful place where it's 
of what it is. You, you, it has an integrity toward itself. And one of the signs is whenever you tweak something, you're playing whack-a-mole with three other mm -hmm. things because, mm -hmm. because the story has a consistent voice and logic to it. That's actually a good sign. Um, but um, we haven't, we had a very good opening that we took into the Phoenix Theater Workshop and we were like, this is good, but we can trade up for better. Well, when you have four collaborators too, of course, right. it gets dicier as far as choices made. You have to make sure everybody agrees. And our composer and lyricist felt like they wanted a different hook for the opening, a different, they weren't happy with the way the song was, was in that scene. So we went back and gave them a different hook, which they seem to really like, and we're seeing if that works. I don't know how it will end up, but um, it's like you were saying, it's very important to have a, a beginning that brings people in right away, as opposed to just making them wonder what's going on. <laughs> so um, we're working on it, working on it. Whew. Yeah. <laughs> beginnings Wait, and endings. Yeah. Beginnings speaking, and endings. Speaking of beginnings, how did you guys meet? <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I was um, introduced to Linda uh, by her ex-husband. Oh. Um, who was, who was <laughs> my very first friend in Arizona is a very good uh, actor director named named Bob Sorensen, mm -hmm. and uh, and a friend to this day. Mm -hmm. And uh, I came out from Chicago as an actor, and I was working at Actors Theater of Phoenix, and we were doing a Stephen Beats play called More Fun Than Bowling. Yes. Yeah. And um, Beats is a great guy. And um, and Bob was directing it, and he was terrific, and. Uh, and we became friends and, and we were out having beers and he was talking about how he was also doing, um, uh, not baby with the bathwater. Um, oh, oh my God, we're both, <laughs> the Christopher Durang play, um, Laughing Wild. Laughing Wild, there you Laughing go. Wild um, at, at um, Actors Lab. Lab. In, in Scottsdale, he was doing Laughing Wild with his ex-wife and he was acting in this. And I thought, how very Noel Coward is this? <laughs> Someone is doing a show with their ex-wife and I'd never met an ex-wife before. And I always thought they had like long gloves and cigarette holders, oh, wow. you know, and called people darling. And, and so Bob said, why don't you come to the show? And and so I believe I, you came to opening night, didn't you? I, I think I did. Yeah. I think I did. And you had a date, but no, she, she, she stood me up. She, also, also propitious. Yeah. Fate lending a hand. Like that's the only reason a date would stand me up. <laughs> um, but um, uh, and we went to it and I was um, I was smitten. She was wonderful. And um, and I, I was like, I became kind of like a stage door Johnny. You wouldn't go away. You, it was like, 
leaving messages, showing up at the. Well, you make me seem like well, a stalker. <laughs> well, it was very no cute. No, it was very cute. It's just at that point in my life, I was, I was not doing men. I was, I was just. Okay, I know can, you told me several times. Um, <laughs> yeah, not doing that. Maybe not, not the best choice of words. I was not there. dating at that moment. You were not dating. I was reevaluating on our first date. You know, yeah. I was not dating. So, uh, <laughs> so I said, okay, well, get back to me on that. And you look at the box score. Who won that one? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> you know, it's uh, in all these years, I did not know that story. I know, I know who Bob Swartzen is. I know, okay. yeah. So yeah, he's he's awesome, and also uh, was a huge force in the theater community in Arizona. So uh, it, it's not surprising to me that your path would have eventually crossed with Linda. But the way that it happened is pretty magic. <laughs> yeah, it was well, it was it was it was pretty amazing, um, and and and, and in, we were talking about when you find. When you find a career and you kind of know and and it's the same it's the same thing where you know um i kind of knew with her and and she kind of knew with me although i it took me uh, several dates and a lot of pleading to convince her that she actually instinctively knew uh, but, <laughs> but uh, you have a you have a thousand yard stare right now <laughs> like, oh my God. i'm just listening so many all. roads like i, I could have taken and yet <laughs> um but that's the story Oh, that is awesome. <laughs> and you all have acted together since, right? I mean, after that, after that, you've been in plays together, right? I feel like we I've seen one play, one play together. We did one day as actors together. Yeah, um, okay. And one of us was a little better than the other, and we don't like to talk about that. That's but not uh, true. no, you're a better actor than not that. True. Shut up. Anyway, but uh, Linda Linda has acted in a couple of uh, my plays, and uh, we um, we co-directed a play. Oh, remember God. that? We co-directed a play, <laughs> and one of our actors actually said to this to the because we would have note section. We would have a note session after a rehearsal, and I give notes, and then Linda would give rebuttal notes, and and oh, one yeah. of one of our actors said, it's like being in a custody battle yeah, where you right. love both parents. It was just- But the, the show came out great. It was just- The show came out great. It's, there. Yeah. it's an ugly process sometimes, uh, but here's the thing. We fight, sometimes we work line to line and we just, we just fight it out on the, on the, the smallest things. Uh, sometimes we work separately and it's like we'll each do a version of this scene and bring it together and kind of play demolition derby with it. But the upside of this is a couple of things. I think we each recognize where we are weak and where the other person uh, uh, speaks to that. And, and when we get to a point where somebody says, you know, what about this idea? And neither of us hates it. That's a really good idea. You know, so, so we work, it's a contentious process, but it's a productive one where, where, where it has really, um, but it has, it has really been um, a good process ultimately um, because even when we're mad at each other, even when we fight about things, um, because of the subject matter, um, 
you go, how important is this fat really? I mean, it's, it's, it's more than a story to us. And it's not like, here's a couple of fictional characters we made up who get into crazy hijinks and everything like this. We're trying to tell an actual story that is more important than either of us. And that's some common ground we can come back to that, that keeps us from murdering each other, I think. Well, I have, uh, I have plans. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's been interesting because we've been able to tell the story uh, and be, of course, we couldn't be in every room and a lot of it is, you know, stuff that we decided this probably could be what happened or, you know, and, uh, but we've also been able to stick to the story, the truth of the story, the truth of the characters, and at the same time add the fantasy in, which um, was kind of a, a nice combination because one of us was more of that than the other and vice versa. So um, it Kind of and that was, that, was, that, was, that was one of the wrinkles you brought was the idea that um, if they can go to another world in their art, mm -hmm. let's dramatize that. Let's not just show somebody, um, you, somebody know, drawing. you know, drawing or painting. <laughs> let's show the world they get into. Because when going back to the exhibit, this, the, the, the materials, if the, be they gritty realistic or completely escapist, you know, dogs and gardens and things were very intense either way. Mm -hmm. And and you could you could tell upon reflection that someone was either getting some demons out or getting to a safe place mm -hmm. in that experience of making that art. And and um, uh, Linda and and Craig also were very big on let's put the world of their minds and their spirits on there as well. And let that be a contrast to this grim gray dying world they're forced to exist in. And so we do that. We, we, we do the, the, the magical realism uh, um, Tori was talking about. Um, and that, that gives you a, a whole new dimension. And it, and it kind of dem demonstrates, because we're constantly answering what is the value of art? And, and this kind of demonstrates it theatrically. So, so it, it's working for us. There's also the aspect of, unfortunately, this story isn't over and continues to happen to this day. It's sadly timely. Um, before we started the workshop, this past May, I was reading the newspaper and I came across a story about children in a bomb shelter that were painting and doing um, doing plays to make in themselves. Ukraine. Yeah, and I and it was from the day before from Ukraine. It, it was um, it, my goal with this play is to try to make these people can the audience connect with them in such a way that. At some point, even if one person comes away believing this, believing that we're all connected and we're all the same, we all want the same things, we all want peace, we all, you know, it, it, it maybe makes someone look at this in a different way and go, I don't have to be afraid of this or afraid of that person or because we're really all the same, we're really connected. And I think we've lost that. We've lost that in a big way. And 
and it also it also helps them be more than statistics. Yes. You see yeah. a picture. You see a picture of there's one of the paintings is is um, you know four girls holding hands playing ring around the roses in in in, in a field, and it's it's beautifully drawn drawn by an artist that must have died at the age of thirteen or fourteen, mm. and uh, their name is in the corner of of the painting because that was one of Friedel things you all sign you know you're all designated by numbers in the camp but you sign your names you keep your names and um uh someone looking at that painting is going to know more about that person and a little bit of their soul rather than just a name and a stat and that's one of the things that's really powerful about these paintings you said that much better than i did oh yeah oh well, there you go me um, without a pen <laughs> Um, the other thing that's cool about the show is we were able to uh, contact the museum in Prague, the museum in Israel. We, we got a lot of uh, Simon Wiesenthal in LA. We were able to get the rights to use a lot of the children's drawings in the show so people can actually see them at the end. And it's, I think it's pretty powerful. Yeah, yeah. One of the things early on when we were talking about that we were both disagreeing on, that we both agreed on rather. Hello, Freud. Uh, one, of the things, one of the things, no, that, that, that was a non-negotiable is you see these pictures and you can't, you can't not include them because um, there's nothing you can say, there's no artsy veneer you can put on them that says more than the pictures by the artists themselves. And, um, and so that was one of the things built into the bones of it is that we would have the pictures. And um, uh, that's, it's always a gratifying thing to, to see them when they appear again. And uh, it's, it's been a cool aspect yeah. of this. We should probably let them talk. Later. I know we're yakking, <laughs> sorry. Who would you want most to see this play like who do you think needs to see this play and like i said not you can't you can't say everybody because everybody should see it but like well for me the the jewish community are they are all familiar with this person this situation of course i mean they're taught it uh as children in school they're taught about all these amazing holocaust stories we are not so I think the people that haven't been exposed to it um, would be the most important people to see it because um, it happened. It, it's a story that's universal for all of us. Yes, it was the Jewish community, but I think that what's happening, what happened then and things that are happening now affect us all. And um, so I guess that would be my answer. Anybody I, I, who didn't I, know. I would agree. And I, I would think, you know, I think with the art and the storylines and everything, you know, uh, young people, um, um, uh, teens and, 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 uh, and tweens and that sort of thing, because we've worked really hard to um, uh, make the, the children um, we we decided to go with a with a pretty tight group of children, and and develop them as people. So so we think they have very disparate, you know, 
there, there's some depth there. And I think with that and the art, there's an element of recognition uh, uh, and empathy for young people too. Uh, so I would add that on to, to what Linda just said. Yeah. I love that. That's awesome. But yes, everyone should see it. And Shriners. <laughs> Shriners. Uh, yeah, definitely. Shriners, Knights of Columbus. The question is <laughs> the auto how club. to get it produced. So. <laughs> the, yeah. said the auto club. That's a big audience. The you thing see is, what I'm dealing with here? It's, it's, oh, I know. <laughs> Tori knows. Tori knows. She had whole classes with me where no one else got to talk. Tori knows. Um, um, the, the thing about it is um, it's a, it's a 14 person cast. So it's right. not, um, all of that. You can't do that with five people in a black box, you know, you, and, and we, we made a deal that it has to be as big as the story it allows and, and you know, not a Cecil B. DeMille thing, but, you know, it has to have enough people uh, to do that. And, and so it's not a small show. Mm -hmm. it's, 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 14, it's 14 people, um, uh, but it's, it's, it's a really good show. And we're, we're really, we're cautiously proud of it, except except for the beginning, which still has construction cones around it, but, you know, we'll get there. Wonderful. All right. So, Tori, shall we ask our big questions? Uh -oh. And this is inspired um, by the story of Friedel and what she chose to take with her in her suitcase. So I, I don't think I'm spoiling anything, but when she was forced to leave her home, she packed art supplies. Mm -hmm. so, it, so Mike and Linda, if you were told you had to leave your home, what would you pack in your suitcase? This is interesting because I'm the worst packer in the world. <laughs> I'm the worst packer. We went to Michigan for a week one time and you brought one shirt. It was a blue shirt. So for the whole trip, it looked like Linda was being followed around by a prison trustee. Jeez, it was just horrible. I would, I would take, um, wow, that's a good question and very question. pertinent to what we're, uh, what we're dealing with now. I would take uh, a pair of pants, a pair of shorts. <laughs> I would take, is this great radio or what? <laughs> really I not. would take, I would take a sweater because you have to layer. Uh, <laughs> I would take a, um, I would take a thumb drive with everything I wrote on it, and a laptop, and Linda. Oh, thank and, you. Oh, I go in the suitcase. No, you'd squawk about that, and I could never get the zipper done. But um, no, I, I, my point is, I was trying to say, if you're along, if you're there, then I, I and the thumb drive. I have everything. <laughs> wow. Well, I I was thinking you would be that, that would be a given that you would be there. So that I don't have. Mm. Okay. Right. Okay. Um, what did I pack? My first thought was pictures, mm. history. Uh, that is my memory lane downfall is keeping pictures. I have. And what the hard part would be picking what pictures to take, but I would have to have 
my past, my ancestry, you know, come with me in some way or fashion. Um, and I can see myself bringing a book to write in or, and, you know, pencils and make, have, making sure I could journal whatever was happening or, you know. Um, can yeah. I put my dog in a suitcase? I don't know. We've tried that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's a, it would be a hard decision. It would definitely be a hard decision. And again, this goes back to our opening scene that it we're does, trying to exactly. rewrite because they have to, they have to put fifty kilos of their lives into a suitcase, and and uh, yeah, our new our new hook for the new song for the first scene now is how do you pack a life? Oh wow! Do it. So what? this really is a, a pertinent yeah question yeah. for yeah it takes it up yeah. Yeah. Well, and I know in the footage I've seen of Ukraine, a lot of people are, they're taking their cats. Like I, I remember oh, yeah. seeing when people were first starting to flee and going on the trains, they had, they had yeah. their, yeah. Well, my saw, dogs would definitely come in some way, shape or fashion. I just mm -hmm. don't know. Yeah. Know, but, yeah. Um, you saw that with K Katrina too. A yeah. lot of people. Oh yeah. A lot of people wouldn't leave. A lot of people wouldn't yeah. have trips. There's no provisions for taking They're them. another member of your family. I, I oh. And the sad thing about Friedel, they had a dog and the Germans took, the, then Jews were not allowed to have pets and they took them all away. Yeah. It's just, it's just, you know, it's heartbreaking to me um, what they dealt with and how strong they stayed. And it's just, I really admire. And a little chilling because when yeah. we, when we started the first storyboard on this to, to lure uh, Craig to write music for it, uh, <laughs> was uh, when Charlottesville happened. We were working on that when Charlottesville happened. And at that point, instructing people about Nazis was more of an historical exercise. Oh my gosh, you know? yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it's been kind of alarming the lessons you need to relearn, mm -hmm. you know? Or learn in the first place. Or learn in the first place, yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. So there's a, so it's been a labor of love, and we've learned a lot, and uh, we'll see what happens. All right. Did you all think of a writing prompt? Oh, oh yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I I I have found this instructive. Is write about the best lesson you've ever gotten from someone you didn't like. <gasps> Oh yeah, that took a turn. I didn't think that's what yeah. you were going to say. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Well, that's, that'll help you channel some rage there. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I like that. Linda, did you have one as well? Um, probably not as good as that one. I was thinking sometimes I do this is all it could be a short story, it could be a one act play, it could be just a paragraph where you write some uh, about some person, place or thing, philosophy, something, and then go back and rewrite it using a different approach, like different adjectives, different ways to describe things. Um, and it kind of broadens your vocabulary a little bit about how to get across what you're trying to get across. It's kind of, I guess, not really editing, but just looking at it from a completely different perspective um, the second time you do it. 
we're doing that a lot these days yeah. because it's on a, in a musical also there's just more obstacles it's yeah. like uh, right now the problem we have is rewrite this packing scene but it can only be a page and a half and there might have to be some singing in the middle of it but but con convey this big sprawling injustice but stick with the little details in doing it so there's a lot of a lot of prescriptives <laughs> in it and as as you go through the rewriting process you have the target gets smaller because you're already doing so many things that work um so so you're aiming at a smaller target and and what you do change has many more conditions about it mm -hmm. um and that's the challenge about making it work and you miss a lot more on rewrites you swing and miss a lot more yeah. because it takes a more precise uh line or page or scene to hit the mark and and keep the piece flowing yeah it's a writing a musical seems daunting to me and writing it as a couple seems daunting to me and oh, you writing. know there's <laughs> but then you've got but then you've got so many other people involved because you do you have a composer and a lyricist so you've got it's really like a marriage of four. <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah yeah it, uh but but it it's good you know when 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 something works for all four people it's like Cha-ching, that's 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 a very that's a very rewarding thing. But writing for a musical is something that uh, um, um, a producer told me years ago. Uh, he said, if you have, you have to sublimate your ego a little bit because because what you write has to set up a song, and you have to, mm. you have to bring it bring the emotional value to a certain level. And and then go to the composer and the lyricist and go here, take it from here. And frequently, what we're doing, and one of the things that Stephen and, and and Craig have been great about on is is they'll say to us, um, we know there's a song here, but write the scene, and um, and we'll make it a song. So we've done that many times where. We write it out as a scene, and then they cherry pick lines of dialogue and the things. best lines of dialogue become a song. <laughs> and that's that's like no, what you write. That's like <laughs> what you write dying and going to heaven yeah. is when was when you write a line of dialogue and then all of a sudden it comes back as a song and it's in a lyric there, and you're like, yes. <laughs> that's a very rewarding thing. Yeah. That is super cool. Yeah. It's been it's been quite the process and and uh um passion arguing aside i think um it's been it's been really good for us yeah. to to try to put this and make this come to life it's kind of given us a new lease on life <laughs> oh that's yeah. wonderful yeah 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 well i hope someday that we can see uh production a reading something you know uh i didn't realize it was happening until it had happened in in phoenix yeah so um because it, we're not that far yeah. but you know hopefully hopefully sometime in the future we can we'll get to well, see we will, we will definitely keep you posted on it yeah please do yeah absolutely so if you if you'd like to be found where can people find you Oh boy. 
we should have a good answer. For we that. should yeah. have, we should have something. But do you have, do you have, um, if you have, if you want people to find you on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, but just tell us what you want us to put yeah. because otherwise we're not, you know, just, we're not going to. Email. Okay. Um, email. Yeah. Just our, our Your email. At some point, we will have hopefully a website for the show. Or oh, website. Facebook. That's what I was going to ask. Uh, yes. but, but we haven't got, we haven't done that yet. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh. It's like that's waiting on first production and all that stuff. But yeah, Michael, Michael, uh, dot Linda 1101 at Gmail is the best way to reach us. And as you can probably tell, we don't have a, uh, a thick group of people to work through so, through. so it's like, it's like talking to our people would be basically talking to, to us. us. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, uh, <laughs> I feel like uh, somebody should write a, a play about you guys. <laughs> You're so fun yeah, yeah. to there listen to. Intervention of some kind, yeah. <laughs> Like this would make a great a great play. Just... I was thinking as 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 I was watching you too, I was like, this would be a really good show. Like a TV show. <laughs> like it totally would. Yeah. A YouTube show where we just read the paper every morning because Oh my gosh. Morning. Yes. <laughs> Breakfast with Mike and Linda. Oh yes, yeah. and you can disagree, it. and your dogs can interact. Yes, <laughs> it's like, oh my God, look what he did! No, oh, yes, it, it's of course it would be one-sided politically. Yes, you probably well. <laughs> that's a show I would watch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um. Well, thank thank you both for just for just giving us some time and wanting to hear Absolutely. about this. Absolutely, it's great been... to see your face and so nice to meet you. And nice yes, to meet you absolutely. too. Thank you for thinking of us and don't stop. Don't ever stop working. Here, here. Don't ever stop working. Love it. Yeah, right. yeah. It really is. It's 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 a lifestyle, but it's also a really good coping mechanism, especially in these times. I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. All right. Will you guys be well and stay safe? And absolutely. You too. Thank you so much. Thank oh, you, and congratulations yeah. on 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 getting to this point. And uh, look forward to to seeing how it all turns out when you when you're finally when you finally lock the script. So, <laughs> and good luck. Good luck for the way forward. Uh, all yes. Right. All okay. Right. Bye, all right. Bye Michael and Linda. That was a wonderful conversation. So much fun. Oh my goodness. They are, they should have their own sitcom. They really should. <laughs> yeah, or I don't know about should. a sitcom, a reality show, right? Just to see them interacting together. They're really, really fun. They're fun. They're funny. They clearly have so much love and respect for each other. And, you know, even when they've hit those bumpy points in the artistic process where you bump heads, they've managed to make it work, find their way out and and write a, a truly wonderful script. So, yeah, that was great. Well, you've got to get finishing on that connective gotta, tissue. I've got to get scripts ready for rehearsals tonight. I got to like, yeah, go back and look at, is this scary? Is this cheesy? Can it be both? I think so. It can be yeah. both. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and how about you? You got a thing today. You're celebrating a friend's birthday and shout out to Camille 
Camille's birthday Happy is today. Birthday, and I'm she's one of my most longtime friends since I've been in San Diego and I'm really excited to go and celebrate with her in person. Nice. Yeah. Cool. All right. All right. Well, I hope that you do some writing this week, Tori. I didn't even talk about the Stephen Dietz class and how much awesomeness aha uh-huh moments I had yesterday. Whew. Damn, Tori. Now I want to hear about the aha moments. <sighs> okay. That's another show. Later. <laughs> All right, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Until next time. Bye, Bye Playwright. Play